This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. All right, y'all. Today, we are pleased to welcome State Senator Kay Kirkpatrick. Senator Kirkpatrick represents the 32nd Senate District of the state of Georgia since 2017, which includes several communities northwest of Atlanta. She chairs the State Veterans Military and Homeland Security Committee. She's an ex officio of the Senate Appropriations Committee and a member of the State Health and Human Services, Insurance and Labor, and Judiciary Committees. Senator Kirkpatrick has been an orthopedic hand surgeon in Atlanta for more than 30 years and previously was the co-president of Resurgence Orthopedics. She graduated from the University of Kentucky and then got her medical degree, orthopedic residency, and hand fellowship at the University of Louisville. In full disclosure, your podcast host also was previously affiliated with Resurgence. Dr. Kirkpatrick, Senator Kirkpatrick, welcome to the Boom Beat Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Kay, I'm not mincing any words at all. You have been very instrumental in many of our lives in terms of not just modeling what an ideal surgeon looks like. I'll brag on you when you were at Resurgence, you were routinely at the top of the list in terms of patient satisfaction and many other things very well adored and liked throughout the Atlanta area. And then for some crazy reason, six sessions ago, you decided to run for state Senate. What happened? Boy, I wish I knew. It's all about timing with politics. I was retiring after 30 years of practice, and at the exact same moment, my state senator decided to run for Congress, and that was a domino effect from Dr. Price getting appointed as secretary of HHS, which left an open congressional seat, and there were 18 people running for that seat, and then eight people running for the seat that was left vacant by our state senator. So I started getting calls from people in the medical community who knew my leadership background and experience and not knowing any better. I said, how hard can it be? Sure, I'll run. I ran against seven other people and got in a runoff and won. And now I'm just finished my sixth election in five years. Our terms are only two years, so it's crazy. I remember talking with you about all the doorbells you were ringing and the streets you're walking. I was like, hey, have you lost your mind? But Your work ethic as a surgeon translated into that, didn't it? Yeah. The thing about working as an orthopedic surgeon and then also being in a leadership role in the group is that I've always worked two jobs and none of us in our business is any stranger to hard work. One thing that we continually pound in the advocacy council and we continually try to advocate to our fellows is it's not just enough to give to the pack. It's not just enough to get involved on a local and a federal level with your representatives, but there are some select numbers of us that need to run for office. And apparently you just took that to heart and did it. So can you give us a little spiel of why it's so important for orthopedic surgeons specifically and physicians in general to run for office? I've had a couple of role models in that field along the way. One of them is my old friend from medical school, Dr. John Barrasso, who's now a U.S. Senator. And then Dr. Price also was my partner at Resurgence for over 20 years. But I saw that live from my friends and saw what a difference you can make in politics 
Being in the state legislature, we're actually fortunate to have three physicians in the Senate. There are 56 senators, and we're go-to people on health care. Because we're a part-time legislature, we have subject matter experts in a number of different things. Everybody's got a day job. And those of us that are in healthcare certainly are go-to people on all those issues. Can you give your thoughts of what are some of the absolute compelling reasons that you get up every morning and go in to, to serve as a state senator? What are the compelling reasons and the things that just really give you the positive reinforcement to do that? I think physicians and especially surgeons have a detail orientation and a work ethic that really lends itself to success in the political world. So I've been able to craft and pass a lot of legislation since I've been down there for the last six years, mostly healthcare and insurance related, but some other things that are for the benefit of my community or some other cause that I'm passionate about, veterans, military, that type of thing. And so being able to get things done that impact 11 million people, it's serious business. Yes, ma'am. Now, Georgia was a red state forever. It was blue and red. It was a blue dog state, and then it became a red state. And now many people on the national level believe it's purple. Both of the federal senators are, of course, Democrats. The majority of y'all's congressmen are Republican. In the state Senate, would you call Georgia blue, red, or purple? We're still red in the state legislature in Georgia, and Republicans won every statewide office in Georgia this year, along with the governorship. And our majority is not as big as it was in the Senate or the House. But at this point, I would say we're still red at that level. Many people believe that the federal politics is extremely partisan at this point to many people believe that it's very difficult to get anything done. Do you feel the same dynamic as present at the state level? Not really. Most of the things that we work on, I would say more than 80 percent are not very controversial. And there's bipartisan agreement. Many things pass unanimously or with just a few no votes. But certainly there are some things that are along party lines and there are other things that are controversial and free for all. But the things that we agree on don't really hit the news very often. And so the media pick up on the things that are controversial and will sell their publication. So I've been impressed with the collegiality that we have in the Senate, maybe because it's a smaller body. There's only 56 of us. And it's very interesting because there's a whole thing about relationships that drives almost everything in politics. And one of the things I learned not soon enough was that you're better off building relationships on all sides than sitting in your office reading bills. Knowing you, I'm sure you went out and proactively met as many people as you possibly could. So when I joined Resurgence in 2006, I was fairly active in political advocacy from my time in Colorado, but immediately I jumped under your wing. We started, you took us down to the state capitol many times. You took us up to D.C. to talk to the folks up on the U.S. capitol there as well. And so you and I have done a lot of political advocacy, but then as you became a senator, you actually were instrumental in passing Senate Bill 80. So this is a good example of the actual productive things that you've accomplished as a senator. Can you tell us about Senate Bill 80 and what a huge impact that is for the physicians in Georgia? Yeah, I'm pretty proud of Senate Bill 80. That was really groundbreaking 
legislation on prior authorization. And even though the feds are playing around with prior authorization, they attack surprise billing. It's just much different at the state level. And so the insurance companies, they know that I'm coming after them every year. And I did that big bill. But the way I usually do things is I give ahead and send my draft to the people that I think are going to hate it the most and figure out what their problems are. And I'm willing to work with them. If there's something that doesn't fit their operational model or whatever, some of those things can be changed. But where the rubber meets the road is that the insurance companies, especially in the world of prior authorization, are a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. There's somebody behind the curtains, but nobody knows what's going on. And it's very complicated for physicians and patients are just really at the mercy of the whole process. And so what Senate Bill 80 did, and it was a pretty big bill, it was 22 pages, went after transparency and it required reporting. It required the insurers making the criteria for their decisions available to the people who were prescribing the treatment. It put some timelines on the process and it also define who could make decisions on appeals. So for example, we defined a clinical peer, which would mean someone who actually knows something about that particular diagnosis. And it was a very difficult fight. In fact, it was the very last day of the session after a lot of back and forth. And finally, the rules chair on the House side calling me in with the insurance companies and saying, you guys need to sit in here and don't come out until you reach an agreement. And so there were some things that had to come out of the bill, but we passed it, the governor signed it. And then I went back last year and picked up one of the pieces that had been taken out of the bill that had to do with patients that have chronic conditions. And we got that passed this past session. And now I've got two more bills coming up for this upcoming session. What are those bills about? I have two healthcare bills. I've got a bunch of other bills too. I'm getting out of my lane this year, but one of it is a network adequacy bill. And again, that's a consumer protection bill because a lot of people sign up for a network and they think they have access to care, but it turns out that they don't have a specialist within two hours of where they live. And there are some federal standards that are just being rolled out on time and distance and what's reasonable, but we're not going to wait for the feds. We're going to go ahead and try to fix that at the state level. And the insurance companies already let me know, I've already met with them, that they do not like it. And I finally got them to actually support the piece of prior auth that I did last year. But this year, I don't think it's going to be that easy. I've got another step on prior authorization also that's modeled after a bill in Texas called a gold card bill. And that basically, we know that prior auth for many of us that are mainstream providers that are not trying to rip anybody off or do anything inappropriate is a complete waste of time and costs everybody money and delays care. So what this does is if you approve 90 plus percent of the time over a six month period, you don't have to do it anymore. And they can look back. And if you fall below that, that can make you do it again. But it took several years for them to get that done in Texas. I know there are several other states working on that. And the rules in Texas took a long time to be written. And I don't think they ended up really being helpful So I haven't talked to them in the last couple months, but implementation is always the problem because you can pass all the laws you want, but what I call the fourth branch of government, bureaucrats are writing the rules and they can really gut what you've done with your statutory work. 
So the AOS is continuing to advocate for the Medicare Advantage prior authorization bill, and hopefully we'll get that through in this session. How is Senate Bill 80 different from what the federal government's doing on Medicare Advantage? I haven't spent a whole lot of time looking at the federal bill, to be honest, but I think the problems are pretty clear across the board at all levels, federal, state, and whatever. And again, the problem is the unnecessary complexity of the process and the fact that the insurance companies are basically practicing medicine and the physicians are at their mercy. And now, since we passed that bill, they have to report all of their stats, their approvals, denials, what percentage, and all of that to the insurance commissioner's office, which they never had to report any of that before. And we put some teeth in the enforcement part. So the insurance commissioner, who is actually a great guy in Georgia, is if they're not playing nice and doing what they're supposed to do by reporting and being transparent and all of that, then the insurance commissioner will find them. And he does a data call periodically to be sure that they're doing what they are supposed to do. That is a breath of fresh air. And so I think we're making good progress and they're friendly to the legislation that I've got coming this year. We passed some other stuff that wasn't my bill, but there's a thing called the all-payer claims database because previously the only data we could get our hands on at the state level was Medicaid and the state health benefit plan. And this is going to require everyone to report their claims data to the governor's office. And so that is going to give us a lot of information about who's doing what. So that's very exciting also. I'm sure that's significantly reduced the burden of all physicians, especially orthopedic surgeons in Georgia. We're getting there. The rules have just been written for Senate Bill 80 maybe six months ago. And I've asked the insurance commissioner to send something out to the doctors about what they do if things are not going the way they're supposed to. Because as a busy physician, you do these aggravating phone calls and things like that. But when something goes wrong, You move on to the next patient when you're done with that. And by the end of the day, you just want to get out of there. And so we need it to be very clear who to complain to and what form to fill out if you have a problem so that they can trend that data. So you're in a really unique position because you have been on both sides of that velvet rope in the state capitol in Georgia. What's some of the things that most surprised you when you became a senator that you just were stunned going, how come I didn't see that when I was on Doug's side of the rope? What's one of those things? You can't be an expert on everything. And you're not just voting on healthcare. You're voting on banking and farming and a lot of things you don't know anything about. So we've got a research department, but just the fire hose aspect of everything that you need to know is fascinating. And you don't get to just work on the things that you like or that you're interested in. You're going to have to vote red or green on everything gets pretty fast paced and you really have to stay on top of what's happening along the way, which is very hard. And I can't even remember what it was like when I first got down there because I came in off cycle. And so there was no formal orientation or anything. So I was flying by the seat of my pants. So I've tried to put together a little things I wish I'd known when I started for the new people that come in and share that with them and try to help them because it takes about a year to figure out which end of the building is which. 
We often advocate for our physicians to go speak with members of Congress and senators to advocate for their positions. Now that you're on that side, how influential is that? If you didn't know me, I came down, I was speaking to you on an issue. How much more or equal impact do I have compared to some of the paid lobbyists? Matters the most if you're my constituent, if you're my voter. But it also is very important to me if you are from my world. In other words, People that have my cell phone number, I'm usually going to pay more attention to them than I do these blast emails that come across or someone just out of the blue who's expressing their opinion. So that's why it's so important for orthopedic surgeons and all physicians really to figure out who their representatives are at the state level and reach out to them, send them an email, give them a call, try to meet with them. That can't be stress enough is those personal relationships. And the specialty societies are really great at helping navigate that for people who don't really know where to, how to jump in or where to start. The Medical Association, the Orthopedic Society in my state is very active. And I always joined everything, the county, the state, specialty, everything, because that's how you get up to date on information and they can really help interact with legislators, it's much easier at the state level. We're very accessible. A little harder in Congress to get through all the filters of all the staff, but still the Academy certainly does a great job in helping people navigate that with their representatives from their state that are in Congress or at the state level. So if you could look back and talk to a younger Kay Kirkpatrick when she was still at Resurgence and advocating on the state level, do you have any words of advice that you tell her in retrospect? I think it's important to take every leadership opportunity that you get because you never know where an opportunity is going to lead, whether it's at your hospital or whether it's in your group. All of us are leaders one way or another, and we need to step up and learn how to do that. I don't think it's an inborn skill. Some of us are more extroverted than others, but these are things you can learn and you can really magnify your impact that you have on the things you care about by stepping up and getting as much leadership experience all along the way as you possibly can. Very good. I love that. I think you probably married the ideal husband to support your activities, both in resurgence and in the state legislature, being a senator. What does Tom think about all this and how has this affected Tom? All of this affects your family. And I always tell people when they're thinking about running for something, as I said at the very beginning of this call, it's all about timing. So I was in a position where I was about to retire. Our kids had grown up and left. And my husband was very supportive and also a great sounding board for anything, especially emergency medicine, because that's what he did his whole career. During the session, you're pretty much gone for three months. And so it's important to have somebody who can hold down the fort, whatever the fort is. And it's also important that your partners are on board with what you're doing, because if you're in a three-person group and you're taking call every third night, it's going to be tough to get people to want to cover for you when you're out. Certainly, you can be engaged in advocacy without running for office and make a huge difference. And we all know people who have done that. My co-president, Dr. Wertheim, is a great example of that running for office would have been his worst nightmare. And yet he was very influential in many ways by the connections that he made during his career. And so there are different ways to contribute and advocate. 
But for people who are thinking about running for office, they can give me a call and I can help them figure out if it's a good time, if it makes sense or not. But the things that we work on, we work on scope of practice, we work on certificate of need, we work on workers' comp, we work on so many things that can directly impact doctors in practice. That's why it matters. And you can't assume that somebody else is going to do it. So engagement in the process is not that hard to do, and it doesn't take that much time, but it's really important to make sure that our profession still exists going forward. Now, in fairness, I mean, at Resurgence, you represented orthopedic surgeons and our staff and our patients at Resurgence Orthopedics and all the folks that work with us and we took care of. And now you represent within the 32nd district, but you represent the citizens of the state of Georgia, which are used to as 11 and a half million, I think. Is that about right? It's about 11 million. We did redistricting this last year and I have a brand new district. I have a county that I've never represented before and a different part of the county that I did represent. 76% of my voters were new to me. And so that's a heavy lift because each of our Senate districts is about 191,000 people. So you can just imagine the house districts obviously are about a third of that size, but you can imagine how much work it is to get to know a brand new district. But I've fallen in love with my new district and hopefully it's mutual. It looked that way during the this election cycle, although I did have a primary, but it ended up not being a big problem. And then I had a general election also. Have any of your viewpoints that you had toward public policy and politics when you were the co-president of Resurgence, has any of that significantly or materially changed since you now have a much broader perspective and responsibility? I would say no, although all of us, I hope, are always willing to learn. And there are pieces of various topics that I probably didn't know as much about the reasons that people are against it or for it or whatever, as I would have needed to actually vote for it. I think the key for our issues is framing everything in terms of the patient and not about us. As I said earlier, we're voting on everything, not just healthcare stuff. And there's a lot of things that I didn't know a whole lot about. And so I asked to be on the Judiciary Committee, which has just been fascinating because I'm not a lawyer and there's me and one more doctor on the Judiciary Committee and the rest are lawyers. And so it is a lot like going to law school, but the issues that we're dealing with about criminal justice and just a wide variety of things are very important. And so I'm pretty excited about that committee just because it's such a learning experience. And that's one thing about being in elected official, at least at my level, is that lifelong learning is super important to all of us. You're serving as a fantastic role model, not only for orthopedic surgeons, but for women across the entire state of Georgia in terms of, look, what I can do, you can do this as well. And I know you were involved in the Perry Initiative when you were at Resurgence as well. As an orthopedic surgeon, I have mixed feelings about that whole thing because I've always wanted to be viewed as an excellent physician and not given any better or worse treatment because of being female. Steered away from trying to stake my identity 
on being a female orthopedic surgeon. I just wanted to be an excellent orthopedic surgeon. And our specialty societies, I know we're working on diversity and we should be because we need to reflect our population. But my message to younger people is get there early, be the most prepared, stay late, and then people will treat you with respect and think that you can do the job. All right, y'all, I appreciate you for bearing me going down memory lane with my good friend, State Senator Kay Kirkpatrick, who was one of the co-president partners at Resurgence Orthopedics and a hand surgeon in Georgia for many years. Hopefully, everybody has been inspired by Senator Kirkpatrick, just her role model, just the continuous, consistent hard work that she puts in and the dedication to not just the people of the state of Georgia, but also to our profession, to the patients that we serve and all those things. So, Hopefully, as you've listened to Kay, she's inspired you to continue to be active in the world of advocacy and all the important things that we do. And also, once again, I want to recognize Kay and our other partner, Steve Wertheim, that she brought up for their tremendous leadership within Resurgence Orthopedics and serving as a role model for me for all the things that I've been able to do in my career. Senator Kirkpatrick, thank you once again so much for being on the Bone Bead Podcast. My pleasure. Anytime. I'd like to encourage y'all to go to the Advocacy Action Center. This is where we advocate for our federal legislation. I cannot emphasize, y'all, how easy this is to do this because the folks at the Academy have made this so easy for us to communicate with our federal legislature. So please make sure you do that. And as Senator Kirkpatrick recommended, make sure that you get very involved with your state orthopedic society. They're the ones that really help advocate for the important issues that take care of our patients across the country. And it's very important for us to have that representation throughout our 50 states. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal health care, please visit aaos.org forward slash the bonebeat advocacy.